Do you guys pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm reminded of a scripture in that last song where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to be baptized and he tells everyone within the sound of his voice, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I pray tonight, Lord, as I go through the story that you've laid on my heart, um, that we would do that tonight, that we would behold a holy God in the scriptures that we'll read and the things that we'll talk about and you know, Lord, my heart, as I'm standing up there tonight, I pray that I'm invisible. Nobody even sees me, but they behold in their hearts and their minds the holy God that did these things so long ago because he loves us so much. The majesty, almighty God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do the work here tonight and we would worship, even as we go through the word, we would worship a holy God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat, everyone. Welcome to Inside Out. It's nice to see you guys tonight. I'm going to continue on with this series we started last week. This is week two of a series that I've titled 10, which is obviously for those of you that have not figured that out yet or were not here last week, it's the 10 commandments we'll be going through. Last week we talked about if anybody knew the 10 commandments by heart, and I don't know that anybody in the room did. Jessica does, our, our worship leader, she knew it, but that's, I'm not going to do that tonight. But what I want to do is I want to remind us of what we talked about last week and then get into what we're going to talk about tonight. So last week, we talked about the Ten Commandments overall, but then we focused on the first one. And the first one says you should have no other gods before me, just me. No other gods before me, which means I don't get to put God here, and then behind him I have gods. That means no other gods besides me, no other gods at all. And we talked about, I, want to re, I kind of want to reestablish this, because a lot of the movies don't portray what actually happens in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20 at the beginning. Exodus chapter 19, three months after the Israelites get rescued out of Egypt, God rescues them with the 10 plagues toward Pharaoh and Egypt. Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. The, the Israelites got to see after they got out of Egypt, they ran into the Red Sea. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. I wanna plant this in your head. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. Listen to me, do you see it? By faith, can you see the parting of the Red Sea? We didn't get to experience it personally, but we can still see it by faith, with faith eyes in the Old Testament. They parted in the Red Sea three months after that. They get to where they call Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, there's so much that happens in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers at Mount Sinai. It's a powerful place. But I got this picture in my head. In Exodus chapter 19, God tells Moses how he's gonna come down on the top of Mount Sinai. His spirit will lower down on top of the mountain. There's gonna be thunder, lightning, smoke, um, earthquakes, the sound of trumpets. So I want you to see this for a second because this is the setting in which this happens. And this is critical tonight. I want to get this point across. They're standing at the foot of the Bighorns. You ever been there? Everybody in this room has probably seen the Bighorn Mountains, right? You're standing at the base of the Bighorns. I stood at the base of Bighorn Mountain. We, we summited Bighorn Mountain, which is like 12,300 feet. We're down by Lame Deer Lake and we're looking up at this thing and it's just majestic. But can you imagine, allow yourself for just a minute to look up and see the Spirit of God come descend down on top of that mountain and the clouds and the smoke and it looked like a furnace. 
earthquakes. And then I love this, and I can't even imagine what this had to be like. I don't believe they could see it, but all of a sudden, the Israelites, because they could not go up on the mountain, remember? God said, you can stand at the foot of the mountain, but don't touch the mountain or you will die. You will be stoned to death, or they will shoot arrows in you, and nobody's even supposed to touch you because you're doing what God tells you not to do. And remember, we talked about this. God does all of this because he loves me. God loves me enough to set the boundaries of what it looks like for me to come near him and worship him because he's God and I'm not. But he loves me so much. He is so holy and so majestic that I cannot approach him flippantly. I can't just approach him how I want to. So he sets these boundaries up so that the Israelites could draw near to him but not die And then all of a sudden, they're standing at the base of this mountain. The earthquake's going on. They're looking up at Mount Sinai, which is about, they figure if it's the right mountain, about 7,000 feet. They're looking up at this thing. The, The Lord descends down on top of the mountain, and then the trumpets blow. I can't even imagine what this had to sound like, because it was angels that were blowing the trumpet. Trumpets. And then they blew the trumpets, and then the trumpets got louder and louder. What would you be like at the base of that mountain? I would probably be like, I would step back away from it to make sure I didn't step wrong. But I got this hunch that I think we'd be on our faces in fear, thinking what in the world is going on? They never experienced this before. They saw the parting of the Red Sea, but God himself descended down on this mountain. It's very critical because part of the story I hope to talk about tonight is gonna show you the setting in which this takes place. And then the movies don't depict this, but the 10 commandments originally given were not written down. The Ten Commandments originally given were spoken by God that day from that mountain in the middle of that smoke and all that was going on, and all of a sudden, it just, I just see it, it just gets quiet. The trumpets quit blowing, the earth quit shaking, you still see the smoke, and all of a sudden, you hear God speak. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But the cool thing about that is when you look at Exodus 20, I love the way God starts this. If you're a dad or a mom in this room, listen to this closely because this is powerful stuff. He doesn't lay the commandments at their feet right away. God himself says this, and God spoke all of these things. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, I loved you so much. Do you remember what I did with the plagues? Do you remember the Red Sea? This is how much I love you. And I've done all these things for you. Now listen to me. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say to you because this is the 10 commandments that we know that they've taken out of courthouses. They've taken out of schools. They're trying to rob our society of what goes on in this story. And I don't care what they do. They can't Take this away. It's so powerful that you think about when when the psalmist talks about, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Young people, look at me. I believe this with all my heart. We may be one generation in our nation to where this book is deemed hate speech and you're not gonna get to hold it anymore. And it will not be as available as it is to you today. So the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. These things they can't take from my heart. The world can tell me that I can't worship God. The world can tell me, the world can tell me I can't say the name Christmas, Merry Christmas anymore. They can take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses and the schools and out of the public square, but they can't take it out of my heart. They don't get to do that. And that's why it's so important that we hear these stories and we hang on to our history and our heritage because it matters, you guys. 
So then God goes on to say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Can you see it? I can see this, not even, it's just still. After the trumpets blow and God starts to speak. Do you hear him? Because this is him talking to you tonight. When I pray that we don't even see me, that all we do is hear him, I want him speaking to your heart of what he wants you to get out of this message tonight. Not what I have to say, but what touches your heart from his perspective. First commandment that we talked about last week, you shall have no other gods before me. Not beside me, not around me, I'm it. And why? Because he rescued you out of slavery. And we talked about this last week. Who rescued us out of slavery? Christ. Christ shed his blood for your freedom. And how dare we go, I don't feel like not sinning today. I feel like responding to that temptation because I've just forgotten or just don't pay attention to what Jesus Christ has done for me. I've been bought with a price. My body is not my own. I'm supposed to worship God with my body. How are you doing so far? Remember we talked about last week how Adam and Eve had one rule in the garden. One rule, and they blew it. Then we get the Ten Commandments, and we blew it as a human race. Then we blew it. Then the Pharisees come up with 613 commandments, and we blew it. And Jesus narrows it down to two. Remember last week we talked about this, how the first four of the Ten Commandments, what's the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first four of the Ten Commandments are wrapped around love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the last six are love your neighbor as yourself. And I wanna remind you what I closed with last week. Depending on how you view the first four is how you will treat the last six. If I have a wrong perspective of God, I'm gonna have a ill, I, won't, I, won't, I will not love my neighbor as I love myself. I just won't do it because I've got an ill perspective of God. So I've gotta have the right perspective of the first four commandments. And that's why I'm digging into these so deeply tonight. We are not held to the law anymore. We got grace, but that does not mean that these still don't have an impact on my life. Most of the laws in our country are founded on the first, are on the 10 commandments, you guys. That's the biblical law. So this matters to us still. Am I bound to it like the Israelites? No, but I still follow the principles thereof by the grace of God. Like we talked about last week, the 10 commandments are like a mirror for me. I can look in the mirror and see something's wrong, but I can't fix it. I can look in the mirror and see there's something wrong, but I can't fix it. The 10 commandments are meant to show me that I can't fix it and that I need a savior. The Ten Commandments drive me to Jesus so that I can find his grace and his mercy and have the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in me so I can live this out. So that's the foundation in which we talked about last week, setting these things up. So tonight what I want to do, we're going to look at the Second Commandment. The Second Commandment says this, and this is Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. These kind of overlap the first and second, but God through the Holy Spirit made them separate. So here's how we're going to do this. Remember, just man have you ever thought about what God's voice sounds like I am the Lord your God I doubt it sounds like that that sounds like Dan with a deep voice right trying to pretend do you ever think about what it had to sound like though tonight for just a minute just for the fun of it let yourself hear from God when he says this to you let it be him saying it to you because he says you shall make no you shall make for yourself and no image of any form of anything in heaven 
above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God punishing the children for their sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me but showing love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me and what? Keep my commandments. Jesus says, you are my disciple if you do what I command. You are my friend if you do what I command. It's not changed, same God. New Testament, Old Testament, same God, revealed differently in Jesus, but the same God, not under the law, under grace, but the same God, because he loves you. And tonight I titled the message, um, Love Leads to Obedience. You guys, this is all about a relationship. This is all about God letting you know, here's what it looks like to approach me and to have a great relationship with me. These decisions you make, God says, you shall not because it'll harm your relationship with him. It's not that he's an ogre. It's not that he's mean. He desires a relationship with you. What else does he have to show you to get that across to you? How do you respond to that, though? This is God saying, I love you and I want to be with you, but I'm holy and you're not. And to approach me, this is how you do it. John 14, 6, which Jesus says, I'm the truth, the way, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We talked about this last week. All roads lead to God, yes, but there's one way to heaven. And that one way to heaven, according to what this book says, is Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's it. So let's get into this. Tonight, what I want to look at is I want to look at the first, the first point is this. I, it's really goofy and simple, and it kind of echoes what we're talking about. Don't, don't make. Don't make an idol for yourself. It's not rocket science. The Ten Commandments are not, like, hard to understand, I don't think. Except for we got to define what an idol is. So what is an idol or the Bible says a carved image. And I like the carved image a little better, but it's the same. Some translations say idol. Some translations will say carved image. An idol is something that is a replacement or a substitute for God. That's it. Don't make it any harder than that. And it's still the same today because like we talked about last week, we have the same idols that they had back then. We just don't name them the same. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. An idol is anything, listen, think about your life. An idol is anything that you love more than God, fear more than God, serve more than God, or devote more time and energy to than God. I wanna to touch on the one with fear. Because it sounds kind of funny that I would fear something more than God. Have you ever feared something that you're gonna lose? A friend, a girlfriend? Something that you know if you don't do exactly what that person or that thing says, you're going to lose them. And if you lose them, you're not going to know what to do. Carol DeLulu was her name. A little red-haired girl back in the sophomore of Billings West High School in Billings, Montana. This little buck-toothed, fuzzy-head guy named Dan had himself a sweetheart. And we broke up. <laughs> it was terrible. I'm like, go! Oh. <laughs> you know what I was worried about? Who am I going to sit, up? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? That's the depth of our relationship. <laughs> Carol and I broke up and I'm like, oh no, because I've dumped all my friends. Sound familiar? <laughs> I dump every one of my friends because I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend now and oh, I'm Twitter-pated and I love them now with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and not the Lord anymore. I'm not making that up, am I? And if you've not done it, you're going to. And when you do it and God, God taps you on the shoulder and says, psst, look over here. 
every one of you are gonna fall in love with someone and for a minute, they're gonna become your everything. Don't let them become an idol. You picking up what I'm laying down? <clears throat> to me, that is the most important thing at your age that you need to worry about. The other one is sports. So when you look at an idol, when I give everything I am to sports, I'm a Christian, Fellowship of Christian Athletes will teach you how to be a Christian athlete, but I'm an athlete and everything I do, homework set aside. I'm thinking of sports. I'm looking at whatever I'm supposed to be doing. I'm concentrating. I'm up early, going to bed late at night, working out like crazy. Why? Because I want to win a state championship. Why? Because I want to be in first place. What did we talk about last week? Remember the principle of first? Where do you think that comes from? We want to be first, don't we? And in, a, in the world, do we not want to be the number one nation in the world? We want to be first, don't we? <clears throat> the principle of first that we talked about last week with God, that's why we make him first. And everything I do is second. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. And if Rachel was here, she'd tell you the same thing. I'm number two and she's number two in our lives. God is number one. Was there a minute when we were number one with each other? Absolutely, it happens. But here's what you do when God taps you on the shoulder in what every area of your life and he says, you know what, I miss you. Where are you? What are you doing? It's up to us to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting and say, Lord, forgive me. I don't have to change anything out here that I'm doing. I just need to change my heart. I need to change. I don't worship that thing. I worship God. So the example, again, is you can look at it as friends, recognition, stuff, education, sports, family, and success. Education is a big one for people. I know a lot of people in the, in the theological world that will get this mixed up, and I really believe I've seen some of them where their education becomes an idol for them. Because education, theologically, their understanding of the big things is everything to them. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not that bright, so I don't really strive for that. <laughs> and it's okay with me. So you go on. To be clear, though, watch this. I want to be clear in this, that I'm not talking about Christian art. It's not a painting of something or an image of something that somebody might sculpt. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not a problem with Christian art. It is something when I make something with my hands or carve something <clears throat> that I worship. The intent behind it is to worship it. Does that make sense to you guys? Christian art, there's nothing wrong with it. Having a painting on the wall, the, the Lord's Supper, all those are okay. But if they're intended, if they're created with the intent to worship and replace God, that's an idol and you can't do that. Greek mythology is a big one and I wanna spend a second here on this because I found this in my studies. It says Greek mythology, we see their concept of God. Normally when somebody makes an image of something, you ever had a sport or an athlete that you look up to? Who do you wanna be like? That athlete. I've watched people, you may not deal with this, but I've watched people morph their life into looking like that athlete because that's a God to them because that's what they want to look like. Normally when we make gods or we find things in our lives, we find things that we want to be like. And the only one I could think of today was Thor. <laughs> Listen, I'd love to look like Thor. It would be amazing to look like Thor. I'm never going to look like Thor, but it would be crazy if I did. But somebody made this image of this God Thor and thought I wanted him to be a muscled up mess. I've often thought this about Samson as a rabbit trail. For those of you that know Samson in the Bible, his hair was his strength, and the Philistines could not figure out why he was so strong. I am convinced, and I can't wait to get to heaven to talk to Samson, because I don't think Samson was all that buff. Because if he looked like Thor, they wouldn't have to wonder where his strength came from. Make sense? 
So they didn't make an image in Samson that would look like Thor, but Greek mythology, whenever somebody comes up with another god, it is something they want themselves to look like or represent because they're molding that with their own hand or their own brain. That makes sense to you guys? So we can't do that. Here's the progression though. This is, what, this is where we're going with this tonight. There's a progression to this. The first thing you do is you make a God. The second thing you do is you find yourself worshiping that God. And the third thing you do is you finally end up serving that God. There is a progression here that you need to be careful with. When you see you're made a God in your life and God taps you on the shoulder and you have an idol, you have to stop and go, sorry, Lord, in a just course. Because the next thing you do, you're gonna be serving it. And I want you to think about your lives because every one of us in here have idols at times that we deal with. So that's the progression of it. And then we're ending up serving it. Why? This is the deal. I heard this said this way one time. First, the person molds the idol. Then the idol molds the person. First, the person's going to mold this thing, whatever it is, recognition, sports, boyfriend, girlfriend, pornography, whatever that idol is for you. And I believe idol, I think idol for girls, I think gossip becomes an idol. It's because it becomes your identity. That's what you do constantly. But first the person molds the idol and then the idol molds the person. Understand this. I got this in your notes. Understand there is only one God. Good God Almighty, Holy Spirit come, and Holy God, there is one God, eternal, infinite, and sovereign. Isaiah 42, 8 says this. This is God. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to a carved image. You won't do it. And if you do, it's gonna get you in trouble. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second point is this, don't bow down, you guys. <clears throat> don't bow down because when you bow down, you gotta remember, El Kanah is God's name in this. God's got a lot of different names in the Bible, but El Kanah is the name of a jealous God. God is jealous for you. God is not jealous of you. God is jealous for you because he loves you, you're his, he created you, he bought you with a price, you belong to him, and he is jealous for you. He's not jealous of other images that the people make because they're not gods, they're false, they're fake, they don't matter. Another one of those idols that I would say is false and fake, and I don't think they do it anymore, I'm not sure, but watch on Super Bowl Sunday. This makes me sick to my stomach, I'll be very honest with you, I don't like the image that this represents. They'll line up the winning team, and I don't know if they do this anymore or not, but they line up the winning team on the field, and they take the Lombardi Trophy, and they walk down, they have some famous football player walking down that, that row with that trophy in their hand. And that's a, that is an idol, because you see people reach out just to touch it. They just wanna touch it, and they'll kiss it, and they'll wanna just lay hands on it. To me, that makes me sick to my stomach, because these people have given everything they have to that thing that they've worshiped. They have worked their behinds off to get to there. Nothing wrong with the result and the accomplishment at all, but where's your heart? So if they do that the Super Bowl Sunday, watch it, and I hope it makes you as sick as it does me. And it doesn't make me sick in anger, it makes me sick, it breaks my heart to think that they've given everything to that thing that they wanted to represent rather than God who gave them the ability to compete to begin with. That trophy did not give them the ability to compete. God did, and God gave you the ability for his glory. Make sense? God's a jealous God. God's, God's jealousy is this. It's love and action is what it is. He refuses, listen to this closely, he refuses to share the human heart with any rival. He does not want to share you with anyone. Let me ask you this. 
do you think my wife Rachel should share me with someone else? Hello? Do you think, do you guys, okay ladies at the table, do you guys think Rachel should share me with someone else? You gonna share Clint? I don't think so. Why do we fight so much about this with God? It's a relationship. I'm not saying us in the room, but the world fights with this idea of having exclusivity, exclusivity to God. You understand? This isn't rocket science, you guys. We live this way already. He knows. He, he, here's what he knows. Here's why he wants our hearts. I'm not gonna get through all this tonight. I almost wanna wait a little bit till next week, to be honest with you, because there's so much here, and I might do that tonight. He knows that the loyalty to him will determine the quality of our spiritual life. You hear what I just said? He realizes and he knows, you guys, the loyalty to him that we have determines the quality of our spiritual life. The more dedicated and loyal I am to God, the more steady I am in my life spiritually. We've all been there. We know what that looks like. When we don't have loyalty to God, we see the instability of our lives, don't we? And he doesn't want to share your heart with anybody else, and he doesn't want to share your heart with you. You picking up what I'm laying down? God does not want to share your heart, you, within his heart. He wants you, all of you. He wants you to do like Paul says, I have cruci I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. God doesn't want to share your heart with you. He wants your heart to belong to him. That way you're not negotiating with him all the time whether you should sin or not. That's going to determine the spiritual quality of your life. Because it says in Judges 3, 7, here's examples of that. The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Watch, they forgot the Lord their God. And because of that, what they do? They serve the Baals and the Asherahs. And the Baals were immoral immoral images that people had made up. I can't even tell you the graphic look of what a Baal would have looked like from a guy's perspective. Let's just put it that way. They were immoral sexual idols is what they were. They used them. Listen, here's how bad it was. You ready? I'm gonna be straight with you guys. When, they would, when Israelites, God's people, would go to the temple, they would have prostitutes there. And the Baals were fertility gods. So they would actually, the men would go, find a prostitute, sleep with a prostitute, so their wife might, might, get, might get pregnant. Seriously, sin makes you stupid. They would do that. That's the gods that God's people were serving, and we wonder why God was mad all the time in the Old Testament at the Israelites. We'll talk about that a little bit when God says don't commit adultery. It also says this even gets worse. The Asherah poles, this one, this, this idol was called Moloch. They worship, this is God's people that are doing this. They worship their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. They would take their live children, the pagans and the Israelites would take their live children, and this idol Moloch was a big bronze idol, had his arms out, and they would put their babies either in the arms of Moloch or in the stomach of Moloch, and they would burn them alive. And they beat the drums really loud to drown out the yells of the, the screams of the kids. This is why we can't have false idols, you guys. We'll make them, then we, then we worship them, and then we serve them. That's the pattern in which God's talking about. This is a very dangerous pattern to a believer's life. And God knows it, and he loves you, and he doesn't want you to do this. That's why he's telling you these things. Idol worship was found in those, like say, in those countries, immoral, and it was absolutely inhumane. 
I'm going to finish with this tonight real quick. <clears throat> In Exodus 32, it talks about how the golden calf image happens. And that's why I wanted to set this up at the beginning. And I'm going to hit the highlights of this chapter. Your homework tonight is to go to Exodus 32 and reach uh, verses 1 through 35 when you get home. And you'll get the whole story here. The Israelites are still at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're still in the same location where God spoke to them. Moses has now went back up on top of the mountain into the cloud to talk to God. Moses is receiving the law. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Israelites got tired of waiting on him. So they take Aaron, Aaron Moses' brother Aaron, who's a priest, <clears throat> and, he, and they start whining to Aaron. This Moses is gone. We need a God to serve. We don't know when he's going to come back. He's been gone for 40 days. And the Israelites are like, they look at Aaron like, we need a God. We need an image. Why? Because they were in Egypt, remember? And they know what idols were like. So Aaron gives in to him. And he says, okay, everybody take your gold earrings off. And we'll throw it in the fire. Everybody takes their gold earrings off. And the Israelites, they're at the, they're at the foot of the mountain that they just heard the trumpet blow on. And they heard God's voice speak to them. Forty days is all it took for them to bail on the one true living God and start making another idol. Aaron throws all of the gold into the fire. And it says then they, Aaron shaped an image in the image of a calf. Some scripts, some translations say one, some say two. In an image of a calf. They said it was probably made out of wood covered in gold is probably what it was looking like, okay? But in the image of a calf. And they start, they, they made a deal. So they bring this image out. Everybody's revelry is what it says, which I'll get into in a second. They're all having this big party, right? They made the image. The next thing they do is they build an altar. They build an altar to worship and sacrifice to the image of the calf. And the Israelites' confession was, there's the God that brought us out of Egypt. God rescued them out of Egypt, and within 40 days, they're, going, they're saying about the calf, there's the God that rescued us out of Egypt. Sin makes you stupid, and it gets worse than that. The next day, they're, they got a party planned. They're planning the party all night long, right, and they can't hardly wait to get together. You know what they had the next day? In front of this calf, worshiping and sacrificing at the altar, they had an orgy, plain and simple, rivalry, sexual immorality. It was terrible. And God's on the top of the mountain at this time with Moses giving them the law they're supposed to follow. You see how ridiculous this is? Moses comes down off the mountain and he's infuriated and I wish I had more time. He takes the stone tablets that he's carrying down that God wrote on the stone himself. And these people are worshiping a cow, a calf. Moses throws the tablets down. He's just infuriated at these people. He's mad enough where the punishment comes, and there's punishment that comes. He takes the golden calf, burns it in the fire, takes the ashes, throws it in the water, and makes him drink it. And I gotta stop there because I don't have enough time. But here's my question for you before we go into the last part of, the, of the, turning over to small groups. What are you willing to turn your life over to from the true living God that rescued you from Jesus Christ himself what will it take for you? Will it be a golden calf? What is it that you're going to choose to do a similar thing with and turn away from the one that rescued you? Standing at the foot of the cross all the time in our lives and we'll turn to sin. I'm not picking on you guys, but I want you to think. In your life, what are you willing to turn over to? What idol are you willing to turn your life over to and turn away from 
the one true living God. You can't have a mixture of both. It's him or not. Talk in your groups and we'll come back up here in a minute. We'll close in just a few seconds. Okay, you guys, if I can have your attention, I hate to interrupt your conversations. As always, you guys can stay late if you need to, but I want to get those out of here that are ready to go to get out of here. So I got a couple quick thoughts I want to close with, though, I think are pretty critical. And one of them is going to be just for you guys down the road. But do you realize why they went ahead and made the golden calf? It's like I said, because 40 days is all the longer they could wait on the Lord. And I really believe what they did is what most of us do. And we run out of time and we run out of patience with waiting on God. I've been praying. I've been doing things, and I'm done waiting, Lord. I'm going to take control of it myself. Does that make sense to you guys? And I believe that was the heart of which they did what they did with the golden calf. 40 days and 40 nights sitting right there at the bottom of the mountain, standing right in front of the cross. We're going to, we're going to find times in our lives when we're, we're tired of waiting on the Lord, and I'm going to reach out and take it. I'm going to take control of it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I prayed. No answer. Let's go. No answer is an answer. It's wait. Listen to me. Waiting, I'm not an English major, you ready? Waiting is a verb. I want everybody to hear me clearly on that. Waiting is a verb. Waiting on the Lord is doing something. Man, I want you to hear that because I've, I've learned that the hard way in my life. Waiting on the Lord is the right thing to do. Be still and know that I am God. And if you don't get an answer, you do what he told you to do, the last thing he told you to do, and until he tells you to do different, you do the same thing. But if you're praying about something and you're not getting that answer and you're counseling and you're not getting an answer, you're still doing something by waiting on the Lord. Don't get out in front of him. Don't try taking a hold of something and making that an idol where you're gonna trust what you're doing more than what God is doing. Because when, when God doesn't answer you, <clears throat> God's also doing something. He's not not doing nothing. Does that make sense to you guys? And the other thing is this. I want you guys to realize it says at the last part of that scripture, it says God punishes the, the children for the sins of the parents to their third and fourth, fourth generation who hate him. Watch. Very shortly, very briefly, there's a thing in the world you're going to hear about if you haven't already. It's a big conversation within Christianity. I'm going to give you this to put in your back pocket so you have an answer for it down the road. It's called generational curses. You're going to hear people talk about such a thing as generational curses. In other words, if I'm living a bad life and bad things keep happening to me, there must be a generational curse somewhere in my past that has somebody got cursed and it's the third and fourth generation and I'm dealing with that curse. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't you ever believe that? Because if you're a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. What is gone is old. I am now new. There's, there's generational consequences if my dad, my dad was an alcoholic, there's generational consequences, but there's not a generational curse when you're a Christian. Do you hear me? And when someone tells you there is, you deny that directly. You know why? Because God makes it very clear. He says, to those who hate him. Generational curses to the third and fourth generation are for those that hate him. Do you hate God? No. So are curses on you? No. Why? Because at the bottom of that it says, and it says, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Generational curses are not real for a Christian ever. Generational consequences, absolutely, I believe that's true. Generational curses, no, because it says for those that hate God. For us, he shows love and mercy to a thousand generations to those who love him. And we show we love him by walking with him and keeping his commandments. Not to earn anything. You guys know my heart. It's not to earn a thing. It's to bring the one who's done everything for me. To bring the one that rescued me out of the slavery of sin. That gave his life for me. Shed his blood for me. And brought me from death to life as a Christian. Born again. I don't do anything to earn a thing for him. I live my life because of what's been done. But I do for his glory. And I do it by his grace. Because he's an awesome God a holy God, an eternal, infinite, sovereign God who loves me. And that should blow our minds and it should change my desires and how I live my life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Man, Lord, as I was praying earlier, thank you for the truth of your word. Something that happened so many thousands of years ago, yet so relevant for us today. We look back at that mirror that is the Ten Commandments, knowing that we're not worthy and we're not able to do those things, but by the grace of our Savior, we can. So may these 10 commandments drive us to even more assurance that we need a Savior. And if there's somebody in this room, Lord, that does not know the name of Jesus, that's not been forgiven of their sins and by the shed blood of our Savior, pray tonight, Lord, that they would make that decision, that that would be a confession they make, that they need you and they need saved. And they were Savior, his name is Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the work here tonight. May we leave here differently tonight than what we came in. More understanding of your word and closer to you because of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you're dismissed. Have a great night, everyone.